Alrighty. And welcome to those who are joining in with us online or on the podcast. As we wrap up conversation, Greg's going to read to us for a new series for the month, new theme on the, of the month called Emmanuel. And Greg's going to read to us from the book of Acts to start with. Thanks, Greg. This is um, Acts chapter 9 from verses uh, 1 to 19. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word together. and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. 
open our ears, our minds, our hearts uh, as we seek to receive from you. Lord, we are here to listen and to receive what you would have to give us, to show us who you are. God, thank you for your word passed down to us through generations. As we open it now and as we reflect on it, we ask, Lord, for us to be transformed by what you say, that we may not leave this place the same. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if you've just joined us for the first time in a while or for the first time, we've actually been studying Mark's Gospel uh, which is not what we just read from. And uh, we, we finished in the final chapter last week. Uh, Aaron finished off in chapter 16. Um, and so if we were to kind of review this and, and, and have a look at, okay, so over these last 10 months that we've been walking through Mark's Gospel, what are some of the key takeaways, some of the, the key themes that uh, we, we might look back at? There's lots of themes, lots of takeaways. Um, for me, though, there's been a standout. It's not necessarily what is the key message of Mark's gospel. It's not necessarily specifically about the messianic identity or, or, the, or the unexpectedness of the kingdom or any of these key things that, that uh, writers would say, this is what Mark's gospel was about. It's just, the standout for me has just been what I felt God nudging me on and speaking to me about as I've engaged with this account of Jesus' life almost every single week this, this year and as I've shared with you, the thing that stood out is simply the fact that Jesus, that in Jesus, God has come near to us. I know that's straightforward. We know that. Uh, and Mark doesn't use the term Emmanuel in his gospel. He doesn't include the birth narrative of Jesus. Um, Matthew's account does, um, and this is, this is what the angel said the baby would be called, this term Emmanuel from the book of Isaiah that means God is with us. Uh, but we do hear this, that God is with us in the account we've read this year in Mark's Gospel, in all the Gospels. And I felt challenged this year not to just go, okay, cool, God is with us. God is with us. That's great. But actually to let God stretch my understanding and my experience of his closeness to me and to you. His closeness to me, to us. What does that actually mean? Uh, let me remind you of some of the things we've seen this year in the Gospel of Mark. First, we saw the triune God at Jesus' baptism, the Father, Son, and Spirit, present in one place in a special way. Uh, the Father speaking affirmation of the Son, the Spirit coming in the form of dove, and it's this unique moment. God is so fully present, so near in this one special place at the baptism. We then hear Jesus say that the good news is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near and this doesn't mean that God's over there, but his kingdom is, is now nearer to us. It means the king has come. Him and his ways is nearer to us. His reign is closer now. Then we see Jesus forgiving sins. Well, this is only something that God can do in Jewish thought. Is this man something more than just a representative, a savior, a messiah? Is he God himself? Um, then he's being identified as the messiah, but more than that, on the mount uh, at the transfiguration, he becomes dazzling white. 
uh, this, this radiance around Jesus and he talks with two prophets on a hill. It's just like God's glory at Mount Sinai back in the book of Exodus and also the two prophets who met, on, uh, who met God on Mount Sinai. And so we're getting this picture. This man is not just a representative of God. He's the embodiment of God's glory and God's presence and his radiant uh, his presence and, and he's close to Peter and James and John. He didn't tell them the story later. They saw it. And then there's this moment where he, uh, he leaves the temple in a way that alludes to the book of Ezekiel. We, I mentioned this a few weeks back. When the chariot throne of God's glory in the book of Ezekiel rises from inside the temple, pauses at the east gate, and then comes to rest on the mountain east of the city, and Jesus does the same. The divine presence leaves the place where God is supposed to dwell. And then there's this moment he dies on the cross in the temple curtain, behind which is what they call the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. That curtain's torn in two, symbolizing that God has left that place. And then on the third day, so has Jesus left the tomb alive again. Where, where is God? Has he, has he left or is he somehow more present than ever? All through the narrative, we see Emmanuel. We see this Truth, God is with us in this man, Jesus of Nazareth. I know we know this, this is the Christian message, but if God is who he says he is, and, and he's the one in whom we find purpose and in whom we find life, this is good news, that God's close, God is near to us. But Mark also says this, Aaron mentioned this last week, in the very beginning, I think the very first verse, it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, he's not talking about chapter 1, like chapter 1's the beginning and chapter 16 the end. He's saying that these 16 chapters of my account of Jesus' life is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. The continuation of that good news is still to follow and is still happening, and it's the same good news. God is with us. God is near God is present, Emmanuel. And does that mean then that no matter what I do, no matter where I am, no matter what we say, no matter what we pray, that God is near us, that God is near me, that he's present, that he's close? Now that's one part of of good, solid, traditional evangelical theology of omnipresence. God is present everywhere. He fills the earth. But is God just universally close? Uh, is, he, is, is it possible that, it, yes, he's, he's everywhere, he's all around us, but that sometimes we hide behind this concept of omnipresence, that God is everywhere, not inviting his closeness, his nearness, because we assume we've got it. We assume it just is. It's, God's close, God's everywhere. And so we don't actually invite him Close, to ask God, be present in a, in a tangible, manifest way around us. I've really been challenged this year as I've been in Mark's Gospel each week and also in the other places in Scripture where Mark's Gospel points to. Um, I've been challenged not just to walk through life thinking, okay, great, I've got the Holy Spirit, God is with me, so what else is there? But instead to invite God closer to, as Brother Lawrence put it, practice the presence of God. Because for our calling and our mission as believers, 
in Jesus. We need what some would call the manifest presence of God. And so that is why I've chosen the story of Saul that we just read uh, to actually look at that story and go, because uh, I think it helps us answer the question, what happens when God comes near? Have you ever thought about that? What, what happens when God himself comes close to a human being? Do we, do we think about that? Well, what, what really happens if God comes so close to a, a human being? What happens when Emmanuel, God with, God with us, becomes a reality? Or when we encounter the presence of God, as some might put it? Um, I don't want to give an exhaustive list of going through a whole theological kind of unpacking of you know, what happens when God comes close, comes close to a human being. But here's five things uh, that we observe when God comes close from the story of Saul. And that's what I want to share today. Okay, you with me so far? You're a bit, you're a bit quiet. <laughs> First thing, when God comes near, this is pretty uh, straightforward, we hear his voice. Because when God is close, we can hear him more clearly. Uh, God doesn't shout from a distance, can you hear me? God speaks gently, calmly. Many would say God whispers. And so when God is close, we can hear him. When he's far, we can't. Um, we see this in Saul's life. There's this light from heaven flashed around him all of a sudden. This is language which alludes to God's presence and God's glory, a bit like Jesus on the mountain and other points in Scripture. So, so God's come close to Saul in this moment and he hears Jesus' voice. When God's close, we hear him because he's not shouting at us. I did this illustration earlier in the year. Whispers can only be heard when we're close. And so if we, still, we can't hear his still small voice, it may be that distance is an issue as much as anything. Um, now, how can that be? If we're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit inside us, that's pretty close. Like in, inside me is as close as you can get. And yet we are still encouraged to draw near to God. Our salvation is secure, but the relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus, is ongoing and it's growing. And so we need his presence because we need to hear his voice, right? How can you have a relationship if we can't hear one another's voice? Uh, if you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, you'll know what I mean. Anyone long-distance relationship before? Uh, now, it's better than it used to be because there's FaceTime and video calling uh, and that kind of thing. And at the moment, Karen, my wife, and my youngest, Josiah, are in America and um, God bless technology because I can talk to them and I can even see them. But FaceTime, it's, it's just not the same. There's actually more to the voice of someone you love than just an audio transmission or even an audio and video transmission. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a replacement and it's okay, but it's not the same thing. When God is close, we hear his quiet loving voice, and we need that. We need him to be close so we can hear him personally, his loving whisper. But when God comes near to us or when we encounter his presence when he's near, we are all, something else happens. We hear his voice, but we're also overwhelmed. Now, there may be a better a word for this to describe it more fully, but what I'm talking about is when we stand before a holy God and we consciously or subconsciously recognize and are overwhelmed by the fact that our insufficiency and our inadequacy before a holy God is, is there, exists. We are insufficient. We're inadequate. Every time a, Bible, a character in the Bible comes before God's manifest presence, 
there is some reaction of fear or being overwhelmed or hiding their face or, or falling to their knees. And for Saul, he both fell to his knees and he was blinded by the radiance of the glory of Jesus. There was this physical reaction to being near God the Son. God said to Moses, I'll pass by you, but not completely. It'll be back to you because it'll destroy you if you come face to face with me. Um, it, before in the Old Testament system of the law, um, before the high priest went into the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt, they would tie a chain around his ankle in case he dropped dead in the presence of God so that they could pull him out. Right, Because if he dropped dead, then someone else was going to have to die to go and get him. They tied Jane around his ankle just because of the, the intensity of God's presence. God is holy. This means he's different. He's, he's set apart. He's so pure in comparison to human beings. And this is hard to comprehend for me, but his goodness is so intense that it affects us, even physically, if we get too close, as those who are not the same. That's why the psalmist says we are to fear God. Now, we don't like to talk about this much because God is love, right? How can you fear God? So we kind of like to water it down. Oh, it means being or in God. Um, but the Hebrew word for fear is fear. It's, it's to fear God. And yes, with this amazing awe of God as well, but it means to fear. This, it's an inadequate analogy, what I'm about to share, but, but when you were a child, did, did you fear your mum or your dad uh, when you did something wrong? Yeah, right? Now, if you didn't, it possibly means that they weren't actually quite as loving as they could have been because they weren't seeking to protect and to nurture you, including with discipline as you grow up. But if they wanted discipline when you did something wrong, because if you do something wrong, it's probably going to hurt you and others, then, uh, that, then you might fear the response when you were doing the wrong thing. We fear God because without him, doing something, without him doing something about our, our broken and fallen state, we are separated from life itself. We're separated from the one who sustains it. If we don't fear God, we're deceived into thinking that we're okay on our own. Instead of going, God, you are holy and I'm inadequate on my own before you. So when we come close to God, we become, we're overwhelmed by this, by our sinfulness, our inadequacy. And this leads us to repentance. It leads us to a turning away from self-sufficiency. Thankfully, that when we come close to God, yes, we hear his voice, and yes, we're overwhelmed by our own inadequacy, but then he restores us. As we are turned to repentance, he restores us with his love. We're restored by love. God's presence doesn't destroy us. It doesn't have to. If we allow him, he'll actually transfer his goodness, his glory, his righteousness to us. So in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had this, this, this reaction of fear and being overwhelmed in God's presence. He said, I'm a doomed, I'm doomed, I'm a sinful man. And then the, the angel took a burning coal, symbolizing God's presence, and touched Isaiah's lips. And it didn't kill him, but it purified him. God's righteousness was transferred 
to Isaiah. And this is a picture of what Jesus does when we turn to him, when we receive him by faith. His righteousness is transferred to us. We're restored by love, not just overwhelmed by holiness. Saul's sight in the story we just read was restored as Ananias, used as an instrument of God's love and forgiveness, he laid his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul. Hang on a second. Brother Saul? This guy, Saul, has been going around trying to kill Christians like Ananias. And now as Ananias leads him, he says, you know what? I now consider you a brother. God beautifully restores Saul and the effects of God's holiness that's surrounding him with him being blinded. And from there in God's presence, having, been, having heard his voice overwhelmed, restored by love, we are then changed forever. We have to be. So in Saul's case, he goes from a persecutor of the church to a friend, an apostle, an encourager of the church, wrote a big portion of the New Testament. We human beings can be uh, pretty stubborn sometimes. And to have our minds changed, it's, it's not impossible, but there usually be, needs to be a whole heap of proof and of solid, rigorous persuasion for us to change our mind or our heart on something. And yet when God comes near to us, This can transform someone's mindset, their understanding or worldview or values like that. When God's presence comes near to a person, it doesn't take much. All of a sudden, we shift, we change in an instant. This is what God coming near to us can do, God with us. And, and, and this leads not to an, an, just an inward change, but we go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm transformed, the way I feel is different, the way I think is different, but it leads also towards an outward effect. It leads to the fact that we then make a change, and we can make a change because we've been changed on the inside. Social and societal transformation happens when God comes near to those whom he ena- in whom he enacts that change. The Holy Spirit, uh, from that point on, Transforming Paul's life uh, led Paul to transform the first century world. He, one of the most influential figures in all of history because he had an encounter with God's presence, Jesus near to him. Um, the organizations that we're supporting as a church this month exist and they continue to exist because of people who have, have heard from God, have been burdened by God's heart experienced a renovation of their heart, and then that's led them to carry his presence to the last, the lost, the least, to Thailand, to South Sudan, to Indonesia. Um, And our part in that transformation of the world will only happen when we're changed forever, so then we can make a change. As we too have a burden by God's heart and then have a renovation of our own heart as God comes near to us. The story um, of of Saul came to mind for me this week. over a drink with a mate who just a few years ago was not following Jesus. And I was chatting to him this week and just reminded of his story that basically what happened to Saul happened to him as well. And after a relatively small number of conversations about Jesus with this, this guy, he was challenged by the gospel, but he wasn't yet sure. He had questions still, but then one night he just felt ill. And he stepped outside for some air, and he just, he just felt sick. He didn't realize at the time, but that was the presence of God, being in, uh, struck by God's holiness. And at that moment, he said, okay, Jesus, 
I'm, I'm stepping over the line, was the way he put it. I'm in. I'll never forget the next morning when he called me and he said, Luke, it's done. And I could hear it in his voice. He had encountered love. He'd been restored finally by love, having encountered the presence of God. And a few years down the track, this guy inspires me. He shines the light of Christ to his colleagues. He teaches his kids to spread God's love, as he calls it, in practical ways. Every time they go to the shops or their school, he, he changed his whole approach to business. He now says that he's calling, because it's what God showed him, is, is, is to help others in any way he can. Not because of 50 years of, of upbringing through the church or discipleship, or an encounter with the presence of God. He met God. God came near to him. What happened? He came face to face with Emmanuel. God with us. So that's the sort of Damascus Road experiences, though. What about in our everyday walk with Jesus? I mean, is this just a a radical conversion story type thing of of God coming tangibly close? Or is this the practical need in in our everyday life, our everyday faith? I think it's both. I mean, those of us who have chosen to trust Jesus with our lives, been filled with the Holy Spirit, we're now reconciled to God. Nothing can change that. God lives inside of us, never leaving us, always near. That is the truth. And yet somehow as this battle rages on between the sinful human flesh and the Spirit of God inside of us, we sometimes let this drift happen. I don't fully understand it, but I sort of do where we, we, this battle happens where we let our own will override the will of the Spirit who has filled us. And we, we seem to somehow lose the, that closeness with God. We haven't lost our salvation or anything like that, but we've drifted from God. He hasn't moved, we have. What's the effect of that? Well, it's the inverse of this. We can't hear his voice. We self-justify. Oh, maybe, maybe I am good enough on my own. And we experience guilt and shame because we realize we're not. We're back to our old self, and ultimately we're unfruitful. We may think we're doing good stuff, but it's not, because it's not driven by God close, present in our lives. This is the inverse of when we drift from God. And so what do I need to do to change this around? Well, we need to invite God back so that we have that gentle whisper again. We'll go to the next slide. We don't necessarily need a Damascus Road experience, but we need to hear his voice again, that gentle whisper that cuts through the pride and the shame and the guilt. We need a fear of God that sparks repentance in us, insufficient, inadequate before a holy God. We need to be brought back into the arms of God, the loving Father who restores us for real change in our life and empowerment to bring transformation in the lives of others so that we make a change. So what do I need to do? You know, the good news about this is that we think, okay, well, that's, that's, that's great. This is, all the effect. this is what happens when God comes near. What about, what, what, what about when I'm not feeling close? What about when I, I sense that God isn't close? How, do I have to do something? Do I have to go through a certain way? Do I have to read my Bible? What happens? What, what, what do we have to do? This is the good news, is that it's really, really simple. We ask, God, come near again. God, please come close to me. I want you here. I believe God is waiting for us to simply ask for him to be near to us. Now, I know that seems too good to be true, but this is the gospel. There's no ritual, no ladder, no proving yourself. Just ask God to come near to you, and he does. 
as I say that, that all it is, all it takes, is that we must ask. Some of you may be thinking of a friend, not of yourself. You ask God to be in your life, to be involved in your life, to come close. But some of you may be thinking of a friend who needs God in their life, who needs God to be close, maybe even needs a Damascus Road experience. And you know something that's concerning you, and that is they will never ask. Anyone know someone like that? I don't know if they'll ask. So if this is the answer, just to ask God, well, what about them? I can't seem to convince them that they need to. They don't seem to see that they need to ask God to come close. Here's the other good news this morning. There's a second way I believe the Scriptures teach that someone can experience the tangible presence of God, and that is that someone asks for them. It's called intercession or intercessory prayer, interceding. We did a little bit before, and I think I'm beginning to learn as God tries to get it into my head. It takes a while. Uh, that this is so important, especially when it comes to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and, we, and, and our, our role of leading them to Jesus. That when we ask God to come near to someone, he will answer. Whether they accept that or not is, is their choice. God might come near and they go, I don't, I don't want this because, as I said, it's going to overwhelm us. When we hear, we hear God's voice and we come before a holy God, sometimes we go, whoa, whoa I, don't, I don't know about this, and we run. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago just here in our church who mentioned a praying grandmother in their family. And when this grandmother sadly passed away, they observed almost immediately the change in the life of their family when this praying, interceding grandmother passed away. That is the power of intercession, of intercessory prayer. Historic revivals of the past where God's presence has been so strong in an area that when ships sailed past that area, people fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit just because they were close enough to the intense presence of God in a certain revival happening. That stuff started because a few older people in a little chapel somewhere were praying and asking for God to come near. All we've got to do is ask. And so my question this morning is, do you want to experience the closeness, the presence of God, the nearness of God? Do you want to encounter God's presence? Maybe it's been a while for you. Maybe you've, you've never experienced the, the close, tangible presence of God. Maybe you're, you're skeptical that he even is close, or, or you, you, you're like, oh, I'm not sure that it has that much effect anyway. He's everywhere, right? But maybe you're curious. I actually... Maybe there is a bit of a gap somehow, some way at the moment and you just want to ask God to come close for his presence to be near you again. All I'm going to do this morning is ask and encourage you to keep asking this week for, us, for, for God to come near to us. That's it. And, and if, you, if you want to ask too, I just ask you to agree with me in prayer as we pray this morning. Music team's going to come up and lead us in our final song in a second. Um, a song which in part is about asking God to come near to us. So let's pray.
loving God, we know that you are actively involved in our lives. But we know that because our hearts are divided, we drift from you. We thank you that your grace is such that all we need to do is invite you back in. And so we invite you now, Holy Spirit. Come near to us. Come close to us. Let us sense and experience your presence tangibly here in this room, even right now. We want to meet with you.